It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and welcome into the virtual bible study tonight we're glad you're part of it and we are live on this october 23rd 2008 and we are thankful that you are a part of the program tonight my name is jacob gwynn my father greg gwynn is away tonight preaching in indiana Tonight we want to talk about worship and trends in worship today. There is a a growing trend towards contemporary worship where uh, the old worship format is thrown out the window and new and uh, creative ways of worshiping God are brought in. And we want to talk about those tonight and uh, ask the question, are those types of worships acceptable to God uh, or does God have a prescribed format that he wants his worship to be conducted in? We want to hear from you at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We have put out three questions for your consideration tonight. If you are on the update list, you receive these in your inbox this afternoon. The questions we've asked tonight are, what is the most important thing to remember about our worship? Number one, what is the most important thing to remember about our worship? Number two, what are common mistakes that people are making in their approach to worship? What are some common mistakes that people are making in their approach to worship And number three, contemporary worship is becoming more popular. Is uh, the trend towards contemporary worship a good thing? Why or why not? So let us know the answer that you have to those questions or any question or comment you might have about worshiping God and the way that we worship God today. The number to call is 877-381-4567, or the email address to use is questions at collegeview.com. We would like to hear from you on the program tonight. This is a listener participation program in which we benefit from your participation and your interaction. And so we look forward to hearing from you on the phone or over email tonight. In my father's absence tonight, uh, two gentlemen join me to my right. Uh, First, uh, uh, going to my right, uh, we see Phil Hunt is here. Phil, welcome back to the program. Been some time, but it's good to have you back tonight. Well, thank you. I'm good. I'm very glad to be with you tonight. I, I hope that our listeners will take out their Bibles. This is, after all, a Bible study. We hope that you have your Bibles handy within reach, that you'll open up your Bibles and study the Word of God with us tonight. We're very glad that you've joined us. And, Jacob, thank you for the invitation to come on the program. Thank you for taking me up on the invitation, (laughs) Phil. Good to have you here. And uh, to Phil's right is Anthony Petrochko. And Anthony's been here, I guess, about a month ago now. Anthony, welcome back to the program. Thanks. It's good to be back, as always. It's good to have you here. Well, we want to talk about worship, and we want to talk about worship with you. So we would like to hear from you at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview. Dot com. Uh, Phil, as we look at the religious world today, uh, we see all kinds of wild uh, things that people are labeling worship, and uh, they are branding it as worship and saying it should be accepted. We'll ask the question tonight, should it be accepted? I don't know if you were successful in finding the example. Did you find I, I was not able to find it, but before okay. the program, we we had discussed this occasion in which uh, there's an account of uh, of a of a church having a service, and there were fireworks going on, a light show, and then the the pastor of the congregation flies in in a costume into the pulpit to begin preaching, and everybody just goes crazy and goes wild, and it attracts a lot of people, and, and it's very entertaining for people, and you know it's it's some of these cases are extreme that we're talking about, but it's interesting, and I think it's important to ask the question. Is that something that God wants us to do when we come together, supposedly in his name? All right. Uh, as an example of that, uh, the Cornerstone Church in Nashville puts on, the they call it, I think, the world or Nashville's largest indoor fireworks display every 4th of July. And uh, this is the, the news, uh, I guess, bulletin they put out this year for their for their fireworks display. Cornerstone Church will hold Nashville's largest indoor fireworks display. The church will hold a choreographed laser and fireworks show, songs about America from the Cornerstone Choir, and a balloon drop. The indoor fireworks and laser show runs on the weekend of June 27th through June 29th. 
Friday, June 27 will begin at 7 p.m. Saturday, June 28th will begin at 5 p.m. And Sunday, June 29th at 10 a.m. at Cornerstone Church. Notice this. Popcorn vendors, drinks, and cotton candy being sold down the aisles. T-shirts will be slung into the crowd. Cornerstone Church bills itself as Nashville's most patriotic church. Oh, it's a church? <laughs> it sort of sounds Sorry, like it, it was right there, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to be be mean or difficult about it, but you, you start to ask the question: What about this is spiritual in nature? All right. Well, let's find out what the audience thought about this, the spiritual nature of that fireworks display. Here's uh, someone who attended the 06 2006 indoor firework display at Cornerstone Church. And he writes it in sort of a tongue-in-cheek fashion, a review of that event. But here's what he says. About the time the indoor fireworks started to explode near the pulpit of Cornerstone Church in Nashville, Tennessee, while confetti rained down alongside red, white, and blue ribbons or balloons, it occurred to me that the thousands of people in attendance were in absolute ecstasy. Their team had won. That's because mega churches in the South now have more in common with sporting events than they do the churches of my youth. Over the past 15 years, as churches have waged metaphorical war with the surrounding society they see as increasingly immoral, licentious, and lewd, many megachurches have embraced videos, music, and even, yep, literal fireworks from the pulpit. It's all an attempt to make churches relevant to a younger, media-saturated society that previously considered the church stilted and out of date. At times, the show is so overwhelming you almost forget you're even in a church at all. So there's your answer to whether or not it's a spiritual event, Phil. You, you can't even tell you're in a church in, in this scenario. Wow. Uh, he goes in and gives a little play-by-play of uh, the way it broke down when he visited the church. He said entering Cornerstone is the equivalent of entering a stadium or arena, only you don't need tickets. There are greeters and giveaways. When asked whether this is our first visit, my parents say it is mine. I am hustled to a table in the center of the room where I am provided a DVD entitled, uh, and it gives a uh, description, I guess, there of the uh, preacher of that church. And he says, I almost bump into someone who is dressed like Uncle Sam. Uncle Sam beams at me. I've been at Cornerstone Church for three minutes, and I've already seen more smiles than I've seen the rest of the week combined. He goes on, he says, quote, popcorn, get your popcorn, calls a smiling teenage boy. Cotton candy, cotton candy, calls a cheerful teenage girl. You need a Coke, ask another teenage boy who is committing uh, the moral sin of not smiling. He he says, I'm wearing shorts, a T-shirt, and flip-flops. This is perhaps the only church in America for which my attire is perfect. Hardly anyone has on a tie. More than half of both adults and children wear shorts. The, ch- the crowd in the entranceway of the church could be heading anywhere, an amusement park, a football game, or a quick trip to the grocery store. And so, Anthony, the uh, the approach to this is very carnal, at least in the uh, the, the uh, uh, impression we can get of it here. Right. You have to wonder sort of who who is the object of this type of activity. Is, is God really at the center of this, or are the participants and the people in the crowd the ones who are, are being focused on? It seems kind of uh, the answer to that is pretty obvious. All right, it goes on. The entire ceiling is covered by red, white, and blue rib, uh, balloons, which are anchored in nets. A woman sits behind us, and uh, uh, somehow Halloween becomes the topic of her conversation. She says that the Halloween thing was awesome last year. Uh, as the moments before the service tick away, teenagers set up giant rubber bands and begin shooting T-shirts into the stands. This isn't a football game or a basketball game. This is a church service. As uh, the T-shirt, they're shooting T-shirts into the stands. He says, seriously, a mad scramble ensues. My mom taps me on the shoulders and says, quote, they've lifted the curtains on the upper row. Let's go. We stand and move more quickly in the direction of the seats facing the center of the stage. Around us, T-shirts slam into the concrete walls like soft mortar shells. Teenage boys are wrestling one another for possession. Uh, So there they go. Yeah, you're reading these things, and to us, that description of what's going on just seems unreal. Like, how how can this be going on in this atmosphere? And let me ask the question to our to our listeners and viewers tonight: 
Is that simply because many of us were raised that that's not what you did? Or is there objectively reasons? Are there reasons that these things should or should not be used? Is it just us overreacting because of culture or how we were raised? Or is there an actual problem with doing these sort of things? I think you can tell by the way we're discussing it that that we don't agree with doing those sorts of things when we're gathered together, um, supposedly in the name of Jesus, uh, to have assemblies, uh, to honor him, to... Um, to edify and encourage each other. So we'd like to get your thoughts on that. I'm sure, Jacob, you have the email address and number. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. This guy goes on with his play-by-play, Anthony, and says, at one point they play the Merle Haggard song, The Fight Inside of Me. You know that song, Anthony? I'm proud, I guess, to say that I don't. (laughs) Well, (laughs) you know it, Phil. I'm very young. I'm sorry. All right. Well, somebody's going to get on the fight inside of me if you don't know that song. No. Uh, it's, uh, it's a, I guess, sort of a wild country song, but uh, they're playing that in the church service. And then he says the fireworks begin. There are three fireworks stands all spaced in a row near the pulpit. Sparks and colors begin to fly into the air for five minutes. The celebration continues amid the big bangs while the choir sings. The colorful fireworks are loud, and a few children begin to cry, which is barely audible over the rush of explosions. A film of smoke rises to the ceiling and begins to meld with red, white, and blue balloons, which are suddenly dropped amidst a wave of confetti in a church service. So what do you think about that? Let us know, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeu.com. Now, here's the thing. If that is unacceptable, and I think many people, well, there's thousands of people in Nashville who would say it is acceptable, but hopefully our listeners tonight would say that's unacceptable. If that is the case, why is that unacceptable? Right. How, how do you determine that that's unacceptable, Anthony? Right, and I think Phil really uh, brought up a good point. We don't want to sit here tonight and and say that, well, we, we think it's unacceptable just because, as Phil said, we've been raised a certain way or we're used to certain traditions. But instead, we, we really have to look to the Bible to determine how has God ordered that we worship him and, uh, you know, we don't need to be bringing our cultural th- uh, ideas or our upbringing into this. It's strictly a matter of what does God, uh, God's will provide in this uh, topic. All right. Now, that is not the end of it, I'm sure, at the Cornerstone Church in Nashville. I'm sure that the fireworks displays will become bigger next year. The events going on will become bolder and, and push the lines more, Phil. Uh, so... Some, at some point, you say this is too much. Mm-hmm. This is not right. And, and the question is, what standard are we going to use to our listeners? What standard are we going to use to say this is this is where it's gotten to be too much? Uh, at what point do we say we we've been in liberty so far, so now we're in error? Uh, at what point and by what standard do we make that determination? Is there uh, an objective standard independent of us. Uh, let us know your comments. And again, we're opening up our Bibles uh, during the course of this program, looking at God's Word. Uh, he's, an, he's an amazing God that has given us His Word, His will, um, at least a, a small piece of it that we can grasp. And so it's important that we do look to His Word and His wisdom as we seek to answer these sorts of questions. All right, let us know what you think about the indoor fireworks. Is that acceptable in our worship to God? And let us know what you think about these three questions that we've put out for your consideration tonight. Number one, what is the most important thing to remember about our worship? And perhaps the answer to that question would answer the question whether or not it's acceptable to have indoor fireworks. What's the most important thing to remember about our worship? Number two, what are some common mistakes people are making in their approach to worship? And number three, contemporary worship is becoming more popular. Is the trend toward contemporary worship a good thing? Why or why not? We'd like your answer to those questions. We'll take a break and give you time to jump in on the phone at 877-381-4567. Or jump in with your email. Your question or comments can be sent to questions at collegeview.com. We'll take a break and continue the discussion right after this. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Hi, my name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College of View Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? Generally, people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic. 
Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this. Which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow them all? Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us. We don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to Him. Here at the College of You Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous. I'm Arthur Haynes from Kaleoka, Tennessee, and one of my greatest highlights of the week is to listen to the Virtual Bible Study. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study. Thank you for being a part of it tonight, and we look forward to your participation. Again, on the phone or over email tonight, we're open, and we're ready to hear from you. We're talking about worship tonight on the program and the trend towards contemporary worship and what are the standards, if any, that we need to 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 go by as we worship God? Does he, have, does he care how we worship him? Apparently, there are some in the religious world today who say that he doesn't care and anything goes. We want to hear from you. Got a, an article, guys, that I pulled off the internet here by uh, uh, someone who's in favor of contemporary worship, and he gives uh, this review. He says contemporary worship is the new traditional. That being that uh, contemporary is the way that everybody's going today. He says, I wrote, a few months ago, I visited a church and helped them creatively work through some worship issues. Some might call this consulting. I prefer to call it worship brainstorming. This church is a very traditional, uh, is very traditional, complete with choirs, organs, cantatas, and uh, started a contemporary service in a nearby strip mall. They sunk lots of money into the beautiful new facility. The contemporary service is a hit. And attendance has grown larger than the mother church. The contemporary plant has attracted the late 30s to mid-50s crowd, including several successful rich professionals. Their offerings are larger than the offerings of the mother church. There you have it. Contemporary is the new traditional. This scenario is happening all over the country. Traditional church plants uh, starts a contemporary church or service, and it booms. Sometimes this even causes strife as a traditional church becomes jealous of the success of the new service or plant. He says, from my travels and observations, here's how I see the current state of evangelical Christendom. On the one end, you have the diehard traditional churches. With some exceptions, these churches are dying or dead, are attended exclusively by older people, and will probably close shop soon when the last remaining contingent or congregant is buried. This church would never think of doing a song written in the 20th century. One person recently emailed me to tell me that the church organist thought my contemporary hymn charts arrangement were inappropriate because the use of piano cheapened the hymn. And so there's the these traditional churches are dying or dead. Nobody's going to go to those anymore other than the old traditionalists who are pretty much against anything and they're dying or dead and so uh he says that he says in the huge mainstream middle you have contemporary churches filled with rich poor old young families and singles they have praise bands sing the ccli top 20 and some hymns not too loud he says and have relevant messages and then you go even beyond that. He says they're the radical, cutting-edge churches that even go beyond that. So what do you see? What do you think about uh, about that kind of worship, Anthony? I'm kind of wondering, why do we have these two adjectives? Why are we talking about worship as if we can kind of uh, have different types of worship? We can put these different uh, adjectives in front of it, and and that makes it okay. I think, again, we, we've got to look at, at the Bible and what God has commanded for us to do and that's the standard there's just one worship there's not traditional versus contemporary you know it's not up to us to decide uh how to worship god if we're if we're if we have an honest heart and we're seeking after the truth then we would open god's word and follow the pattern that we find there exactly right let us know your thoughts we're waiting to hear from you on email and over the phone tonight and while we wait for your feedback on if this is too much or what is our standard, if any, that we need to follow as we worship God, uh, I have an article here on worship trends, and this uh, notes five recent worship trends. 
Uh, here's what people are wanting in their worship today. Number one, darkness. Young, younger folks don't like the boomers, that being the baby boomers, bright light worship. They prefer covering up all the windows with black cloth and turning off most of the lights, leaving a dimly lit room. In this muted atmosphere, you can't see the faces of the leaders or most other worshipers. It's a private atmosphere, and there will be candles, lots of them. They'll light as many as 50 candles, spreading them all over the sanctuary, providing a flickering, almost spooky light for worship. Aghast boomers say, quote, why is it like a seance in there? there. It is too much like devil worship, I say, end quote. So that's a trend in in contemporary worship. It needs to be dark. Number two, another recent trend, it needs to be mellow. Younger folks have largely discarded most of boomer upbeat happy songs and replaced them with a mellow, mournful, almost blues-style music. Triumphant praise choruses play a minor part in this style of worship. Sometimes called, quote, meditative singing, end quote, this form of music provides a, quote, sanctuary, end quote, or oasis environment in the hectic weekly schedule of the young. The tempo of these songs is often slowed to a crawl, and the tone is sad and mournful. It connects with the somber side of life. Such singing is soft and contemplative. Boomers explain, quote, it all feels so depressing. I expect worship to pick, pick me up, not take me down, end quote. Um, and here's the fifth trend that this author uh, calls to our attention. A trend in worship today is that worship needs to be sensory. Younger folk want to touch, taste, smell, and feel something in worship along with seeing and hearing. Worship is not something to watch or listen to. For, for them, it is something to sense. Thus, they hand out mementos in worship, a thorn, a piece of string, or a grape to hold during the service. They use scented candles uh, that make the place smell like an ancient cathedral. They plan for symbolic actions, like walking to the front to stick the thorn they've been holding into a styrofoam cross, or to drop the card on which they've written their sins into a metal onto a metal plate to be burned. They do, quote, stations of the cross type moving about the room, doing different actions at each location. They are even reintroducing frequent communion, providing an action, touch, and taste in one act. Boomers think this all this moving around is too much trouble and say, quote, why don't they just let me sit here and rest? Why do they keep making me walk around or get in groups? And so the trends are leaving the traditional, Phil, and uh, going in different directions for sure. It is. Um, I, I would ask the question as we read these sorts of things, what is our objective if we're going to make, if we're going to make change? Uh, change is not bad. Change for the sake of change is an issue. There, there's no precedent in Scripture for changing, um, for making extra biblical changes for the sake of change. Making extra biblical changes for any sake would be an issue. But you read some, you mentioned some of these things, some of these things like darkness, uh, mellowness, sensory type things. My question would be, what is the spiritual objective of doing these things? Is there a true spiritual benefit that people are seeing that people will argue for or is there another objective well anthony the objective is and i think it's pretty clear that the the objective is that the people want this to provide some type of worship experience right exactly they want to have some feeling when they leave the service right it's it's about heightening the emotions and and having some sort of emotional experience which I certainly don't want to be interpreted as saying that our emotions should not be involved in worship. They definitely should be. But these these types of things that Phil mentioned and that you mentioned are purely uh, so that the, the worship can be to heighten the emotional mood and uh, to sort of take the focus off of uh, off of God, really, and also off of off of our hearts. You know, uh, in Second Corinthians uh, 13 and verse 5, where uh, Paul is discussing, uh, and specifically he's discussing the Lord's Supper, but he says, you know, that we are to examine, he says, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves, and so forth. So that, to me, is, a, is an introspective thing, uh, a quiet introspective thing that we're to do. It's, not, it's about our heart, and it's not about externals which is what you were just talking about. And 
we don't see in the scriptures, Phil, any emphasis on the emotional that you you need to have some type of moving experience when you worship. We're told what we need to do, and we need to do it with the right attitude. But it's not that it needs sure. to to drive us to some to tears or to some type of emotional experience. Well, any emotional reaction that we might have should be an extension of the spiritual benefit that we have. That the that the emotional benefit would not be an end in and of itself. And I think that's right. where some people have have changed a little bit and kind of missed the point. Whenever we come, when, whenever we assemble, the purpose is spiritual. It's spiritual growth, spiritual edification, uh, worship, and glorification of God. Um, if if you come away joyful, that's great. If you come away convicted of your sins because they're sin in your life and you need to change, that's great. There will there will often be emotional reaction afterwards. Uh, if there's never emotion, I would be concerned. But that is not our objective. It is the if when emotion happens, it is the result of something spiritual. All right. You know, uh, one passage that uh, is very pertinent to this is First Corinthians chapter fourteen, verse fifteen. First Corinthians chapter fourteen, verse fifteen tells us that we're not doing this for an emotional experience, but we're doing it. Uh, with uh, an, an, well, I, I guess you could say an intellectual uh, motivation. First uh, Corinthians chapter fourteen, verse fifteen. What is it? Then I will pray with the Spirit. I will pray with the understanding also. I'll sing with the Spirit. I'll sing with the understanding also. We're doing this with the proper attitude, with the right spirit. We're doing it with understanding. It's not just some type of emotional experience. We understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. And it's not an it's not just emotionalism, Phil. Yeah, and and that's the emphasis as you read throughout uh, the church history in the New Testament. Whenever they came together, the purpose was spiritual. You, you don't ever see a case that I'm aware of, and you all can certainly correct me if, if I'm wrong on this. But I'm not aware of, of a case in which emotion was the objective of of uh, Christians coming together. Uh, I'm not aware of it. I could certainly be wrong. Um, but I think I see a consistent theme of being spiritual. It's interesting, um, in Hebrews chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. In the latter part of this uh, chapter, the Hebrew writer uh, is telling these Jewish Christians to be grateful for having a kingdom that can't be shaken. You might remember that the Jews of the of the days of Jesus had the assumption that the kingdom that would be established and reign forever uh, would be a physical kingdom. They didn't realize that Jesus was setting up a spiritual kingdom. So the Hebrew writer makes this argument. And then at the end here in verse 28, he says, therefore, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. May we never forget who the object of, of any type of worship is. It is God. Our God is a consuming fire. He is the one that scared the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. They trembled. Uh, Moses said, let's see if I can find this verse. They weren't throwing out T-shirts into the crowd. No, they the, okay. They were humbled in the presence of, of the God of creation. And that's the one that we're worshiping with reverence and awe or reverence and fear here in verse 28. May we never forget who uh, is the objective of any of our gatherings together. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com. Anthony, did you have something that you want to point out? No, I think Phil really, really kind of got to the crux of the matter and that, that God is the object of our worship and you know, worship by definition is an is an act of of reverence uh, or and respect paid to a, a deity. Uh, to put it in in general terms, obviously to pay to God. Um, so we need to we need if God is the person that we're worshiping, then we need to worship Him on His terms and not on our terms. And it's interesting in, in this one text. I'll, I'll make draw one uh, extra conclusion from here uh, before we go on. But it says, "Let us offer to God acceptable worship." The implication is that it's possible to offer unacceptable worship, either as individuals or as a collective. So are there limits? Will God accept anything in worship? I think the answer from this text is no. It is possible to offer unacceptable worship, but obviously that would be, by definition, unacceptable. All right. uh, We'll take a break, and we'll hope to hear from you. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. As we go into the break, let's look at Revelation chapter 4. 
beginning of verse 2, Revelation chapter 4, verse 2. And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one set on the throne. And he that set was to look upon like a jasper and sardine stone. And there was a rainbow cloud around about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders setting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders, thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And it goes on and lists the beast. And they were handing out popcorn. They were shooting T-shirts into the crowd to the four and twenty elders. And uh, they were dropping balloons out of the ceiling in heaven. Doesn't line up, does it? And if, they're worship, doesn't say that. if they're worshiping God and they're showing reverence to God in heaven, we should do the same here on earth. We should reverence him and our worship to him and uh, cut out all the hoopla. What do you think? Maybe you disagree. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Hi, I'm Lane Crawford, a member of the College View Church of Christ. If you've never visited with the College View Church of Christ, you may be wondering what our worship services are like. One thing we have at every worship service is music. We believe God has commanded that music be a part of our worship. But something you may notice about our worship is that the music we have in our worship is different than the music used by many in the religious world today. The music we worship God with is strictly vocal. We don't believe God has commanded us to worship Him with instrumental music. Therefore, since we want God to approve of the worship we offer Him, we only worship in the way that He has specified. In Colossians 3.16, God instructs, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Instructions like this in which only vocal music is commanded are the only instructions we can find in the New Testament. Since God didn't tell us that he wanted us to worship him with instrumental music, how can we be sure that he wants that kind of worship? We do know that if we worship God like he prescribed with vocal music, that he'll be happy with that kind of worship. We hope you'll make plans to visit with the College of Church of Christ to learn more about what our worship is like. We'd love to have you join us in worship of our Creator this Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Hello, I'm Nick Law from Jennings, Florida. I love to listen to the virtual Bible study and hear God's Word taught every Thursday night. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And we are waiting to hear from you, and the phone line is open, 877-381-4567. Give us a call right now. Let us know. If you just agree with us, we'd like to hear from you. You can call in and just uh, say amen and hang up if you want. If you disagree, though, we'd especially like to hear from you. Maybe you think that we're being, we're sort of those old stick in the muds, Phil, that are in that dying church that's going to go away and to get buried with all of the old people who just don't want to change. Well, if if that's indeed who we are, then I want to change. Um, if if we're really just a hold, if we're just holding on to tradition, uh, I don't want to stand before God and give an account for disregarding His word on the basis of tradition. If we're in error. Uh, contact us and, and explain us how we can change. We'd love to study the Word of God and find out how to best serve Him. You know, if we should change, it might be a good thing to change. It would be fun to have those fireworks, Anthony. Yeah, I was thinking when you were well, reading that. Well, your kids that. would love it. Man, I, I, was, I almost said to say, man, that sounds like fun. I wish <laughs> I could go. But, you know, that's the thing. I, I think these these things that these uh, churches are doing are clearly simply to draw, you know, draw big crowds to take the focus away from God and to put it back on the, the creature and not the creator. And uh, I certainly don't want to, um, I, I just don't, I don't see that in, uh, in God's word. You reference Romans chapter one there with worshiping the creature rather than the creator. And uh, that certainly seems to be the trend in uh, society today. So we want to hear from you on the phone or over email tonight. As we ask the questions, what is the most important thing to remember about our worship? Number two, what are some common mistakes people are making in their approach to worship? And number three, contemporary worship is becoming more popular. Is the trend to, toward contemporary worship a good thing? Why or why, why not? And Jim in Somerset, Kentucky, says uh, that he just wants to add one thing to the discussion. He says, worship is about the one to whom we, the worship is directed. We have no right to say we are worshiping God, but then decide to do it our own way. Ask Nadab and Abihu. Some have said, quote, I'll take Jesus, but you can keep the church. 
I'm sorry, but it doesn't work that way. I guess my point should be summed up by asking this question. If we elevate our desires and quote-unquote methods with God's requested pattern, who are we really worshiping? So we appreciate Jim for that comment tonight. It does matter how we worship. Nadab and Abihu found that out uh, in a painful way, Anthony. Indeed they did. They, basically they did what what these groups that, that we've read about the, this evening are doing. They've, they've decided to take worship into their own hands and and do things their own way and that you know that's just a, a perfect example of of as phil alluded to earlier there's correct worship and there's incorrect worship and that's a great example of that all right uh, arthur in Cullioca, tennessee uh, emails in uh, just one verse here ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 where we read for he, we are his workmanship created in christ jesus unto good works which god hath ordained or before ordained that we should walk in them. So he says that we should follow the works that God has ordained for us to follow. Uh, I guess that we would also include in that the worship that we provide for uh, we we give to God should be in the format that He has requested. Uh, the the Lord saved us by His grace, and and it's an incredible gift that we're given uh, the opportunity to be able to be in fellowship with God, have the hope of a resurrection. Uh, Paul makes the point that it's not of works. There's nothing you can do to earn it. It's not of works that so that uh, no one may boast. But God made us his workmanship. We're creating Christ Jesus uh, for good works. And so he redeemed us. He saved us so that we can then turn around and do good works, do the things that he would have us to do, make him the focus of our lives. How can we say we're worshiping him when he has told us what to do and we don't do it? Right. We're basically saying you're not worth you're not we're not you're not worth us doing what you said. The opposite of what worship is, uh, ascribing majesty and honor to him, we're dishonoring him by saying we don't want to do what you said. So, thank you for saving me, but I'll still do it my way. Yeah. type of thing. And I don't know many people that would say that overtly, but that's what comes across often. You saved me. Now get out of the way so I can do what I want to do. Basically. Yeah. All right. All right, we have an email from, uh, this one's going to be anonymous because I couldn't make out a name from the email address. But uh, the answer to question number one, what is what should we remember about our worship? It should Our worship must be in, quote, spirit and in truth. Authority only of God's word equals the Bible. We can only get our authority for how we worship out of the Bible. Okay, so this question has been answered by at least one emailer. What's our standard? How do we establish what we should do? The Bible. Exactly, and we appreciate that response. And that is the only standard we can have, Anthony. If we don't have that standard, anything goes. Right, and and that's basically what we have in in uh, what we refer to as a denominational world. Uh, Their their standard is whatever the trend is. You know, we've been talking about how that – you know that we started out sort of with traditional worship, and over time we've we've trended towards contemporary. And what's the latest trend? Is it turning the lights off or or having candles? So, uh, without an an objective standard, then anything goes. Exactly right. You can't you can't take a stand, Phil, and say the fireworks are too much, unless you say we've got a standard, an absolute standard, and we're gonna we're gonna go by it. If you if you take and you leave that standard, you can do whatever you want to do. Yeah, you can't say that this is one foot if you don't have something to tell you what one foot is, if you don't have a rule or a tape measure. So we need a standard, and that standard is what God, which is who is supposed to be the object um, of our attention, our affection, uh, we should go by what he says. That's right. And if you give, if you give an end, if you say, I know that the scriptures don't authorize this, but I like but, it. But I like it, or but it seems like a good idea to me. If you say that about anything, and if it just seems like a very minor, insignificant thing, then you might as well just throw the Bible away and throw all of your scruples away because there is no end to that. It won't be long until they're rolling the fireworks in and they're shooting them off in the middle of the services because that's what uh, that's what you're going to have. Let's remember that our God is a consuming fire if we're going to say anything like i know he said this but if you get to the but then you've gone too far whether it's things that we do when we're together uh assembled whether it's things uh, moral issues in our own lives if you start with the but if you get to the but the door is wide open yeah and you've shown a disrespect for the one who supposedly saved you all right 
All right, 877-381-4567. We're still waiting for your phone call. We're still waiting for email questions at collegeview.com. Clay in Columbia, Tennessee, has emailed in, what is the most important thing to remember about our worship? He says, I will assume you're referring to collective worship in the assembly. The most important thing to remember is that collective worship serves a dual purpose. Number one, to praise God. He references Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. And number two, to stir up, teach, and admonish one another. He references Hebrews 10, verse 24, and Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Worship that excludes one of these purposes does not fulfill the design purposes of worship. You cannot solely worship God in the assembly and not consider how to stir up your brother or sister. On the flip side, you can't solely focus on your brothers and sisters and exclude God from the equation. Anthony? Phil? Phil? Uh-oh. Okay. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I think Clay makes an interesting point here, and, uh, and, and some people might uh, disagree with me a little bit here, but he points out that there's a dual purpose in our assembly. One is to praise God, and one is to stir up. And so sometimes, and he points out that you can't just have one or the other. And I think sometimes we come at it the approach, sometimes I'll hear in prayers, we're here for no other reason but to worship. That's not what Hebrews chapter 10 says. There are multiple reasons. And if we leave out the brothers and sisters and how to say what's appropriate at that time to encourage them, to stir them up to love and good works, then we've missed part of the reason that we've come together. Yes, I agree with that. But part of that, too, Phil, though, is that when we're together doing the same thing, we're by default built up into to love and good works. If we're all together sure. worshiping God together, then we're stirred up to do uh, what we should towards him. Sure. My only point is yeah. that if we if we come together without any concern sure. for any uh, problem that may be going on in someone's life there, that that's a Christian. Right. Um, for example, if the preacher doesn't take into account somewhere where someone is struggling and doesn't preach uh, at times accordingly, at least in my mind, sure. that would be an issue where he's not considering how Consider. to serve. He's not considering. Consider. Yeah, I agree and that, with that. And that's my only point. I agree with that. All right, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeu.com. We want to hear your your thoughts about this. We ask another question, what are some common mistakes people are making in their approach to worship? And our anonymous emailer for tonight says that a mistake is thinking that worship is acceptable as long as it makes one feel good about oneself, uh, to make an impression on others, uh, hypocrisy, thinking that attendance is all that is necessary. So there's three things that are noted out there by our emailer, thinking that uh, worship is acceptable as long as it makes me feel good. That certainly seems to be a common thing. A common approach to worship today is that it needs to make me feel good, and if it does, that's all that matters. And that would certainly be an issue, Anthony. You can comment a little bit, a little bit further. But again, what's the focus? Is it spiritual edification and building up, or is it um, feeling good temporarily in the here and now, either physically or emotionally? Right, and and I think the draw to a lot of these places that have gone to this contemporary worship is, is something we we haven't quite really mentioned, but it's the "come as you are" mentality. Um, these things draw big crowds because people don't have to change, and they can go and they can be entertained, and they're not going to hear anything that pricks their hearts. They're not going to hear anything that that makes them feel like uh, they're in anything but the a right relationship. It says you God. just come with all of your sins, you leave with all of your sins, and, but now the only difference is you feel good about your life with all the and, sins in them. And you have a t-shirt. And you have a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and, and unfortunately, they they probably won't be hearing lessons like Peter preached in Acts chapter 2 where they were pricked to the heart. All right. You you lose substance whenever you start going down that route. All right. And our emailer also notes that uh, thinking that attendance is all that's necessary. That is a problem. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we need to all be on guard against is just being in a pew on Sunday morning doesn't cut it in God's eyes. It takes more than that. All right. And then uh, Clay in Columbia, his uh, list of uh, most common mistakes people are making in their approach to worship. Uh, they forget that the one purpose of worship is to stir up their brothers and sisters, not to the exclusion of worshiping God, of course. But folks forget to stir up their neighbor. If folks would consider that in our singing we are speaking to one another, uh, the invitation songs will have more passion. If men would remember that they are leading the congregation in prayer, then the words would spring from their heart more freely and would be less rote. If our song leaders consider the message of their songs, their selections would be more appropriate and timely. The second mistake is preparation. 
there is an expectation that the preacher will be prepared, but it seems sometimes that preparation doesn't extend beyond him. Song leaders, prayer leaders, men presiding over the Lord's table, Bible class students, Bible class teachers, in fact, all of us should come prepared with a spirit to worship and stir up. And so I think those are valid points. Anthony? I really like his point about preparation, and um, I hope I can kind of make uh, articulate what I'm thinking here. But, you know, there's a lot of appeal. You know, we've talked a lot about contemporary worship, but I've seen, uh, and I've even in my own life, when I was younger, I, my best friend was Catholic. And uh, I grew up in a denomination. I actually went to a Catholic elementary school for a year. But I thought that was just the coolest thing. All those rituals, and it was very ornate and all of that stuff. And I think the draw with that, and could be said, the same could be said with the contemporary worship, but you don't, there is no preparation. It's all externals. So you just show up and walk in the door, and all these external factors are going to do the job that you should have done. Okay. You know, you, it's just going to move you to do what right. you should have prepared. You're just going along with it. You know, it's a beautiful ceremony. It's a beautiful thing. And you're disengaged from that in a spiritual fashion. As Phil said earlier, the focus is spiritual. So when we bring in all of these trappings, we take the focus away from the spiritual and put it on the carnal. And therefore, we've sort of... Uh, relieved ourselves of any, you know, spiritual responsibility, really. All right. I would encourage the gentleman along those lines that if you uh, are getting up and taking a role publicly, you do have a role in setting the tone of what happens. Uh, I appreciate what he was saying about uh, the song leaders considering the message of their songs um, to, to uh, lead things, lead songs that would be appropriate and timely. If you don't prepare. Uh, you can often tell that with a song leader or especially with a preacher unless they've just done it for decades. Um, but go ahead. go ahead. You can finish your thought, and I've got something to add to that. Okay. Um, it's, especially with respect to the song leaders, uh, I know for me personally it, it becomes uh, it's more difficult. I still have a responsibility to be engaged in, and involved. Um, if the song leader is acting like he doesn't want to be there, or someone leading prayer acts like they just want to get through it and, and sit back down, uh, that their heart's really not in it. it. It becomes difficult to engage actively in what they're doing. I'll tell you something else that is difficult, though, to engage in when the audience is not prepared. When they come mm-hmm. wandering in late, when they are more interested in playing with their children than they are with what's going on uh, in, this, in the worship those things make it hard for the rest of the audience to be in the right frame of mind. And so we all have a part to play in this. It affects the way that we worship God, and it can affect the way that the person sitting on the pew beside us or behind us will worship God based on our attitude and our preparation. Yeah, it really does. If, if we get to the point in our personal worship that we get we start feeling like we're not getting anything out of it, then you know we need to look at, examine our own behavior in the worship and make sure that we're not getting in the way of anybody else. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. We'll take it to the top of the hour right after this break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the Virtual Bible Study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the Virtual Bible Study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile in South America, and I love to listen to the Virtual Bible Study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Gracias. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. We're glad you're a part of it, and we do have time to take your comments over email or over the phone tonight. The phone line is open, and we're ready to hear from you. 
We've been talking about those fireworks in Nashville. We said that that's not acceptable worship, and we are looking for someone who says that it is. You may have been there. There were thousands of people there for those fireworks. I actually saw them on YouTube today. Did you? Yeah. They weren't quite as impressive as I had hoped, but, you know, it's inside. You can't do you can't do as much, but um, they still had, they had the lights going all over the place, and there was a lot of commotion in there. Did it look like somewhere that uh, people would want to go to? It seems. I mean, if that's your thing, I guess. Well, sure, sure. But just looking at it, and let's say you're not uh, spiritually minded. I didn't hear anything about sin. I didn't hear anything about that. You know, I didn't hear anything about. I got to change. So I guess it would have entertained me, and I leave there. If you call that church and it makes you feel good, then then go to it. Exactly, and I think that's where a lot of people are coming from. Um, So. All right. Go ahead. Alright, 877-381-4567 Questions at collegeview.com Jason in Pennsylvania is listening tonight He says, I'm reminded of Saul's offering of worship in 1 Samuel 15 His intentions were right, but he did not obey the command of the Lord Just because our motives are good does not mean that our worship is acceptable Anthony Exactly, and and that just goes back to the whole point Again, that Phil made earlier uh, That there's acceptable worship and there's unacceptable worship And it's not up to us to decide how we want to worship God, but we need to look to the to the Bible to determine that. And you know, another fallacy that I think a lot of people get into is is they'll say something along the lines of, "Well, it's it's the spirit that matters. It's not the act itself, but it's it's whether you're doing it with the right spirit. So therefore, you you can do whatever you want as long as it's in the same vein or in the same spirit. Yeah. So, uh, but. We don't see that. Uh, we definitely don't see that in the Bible. Nadab and Abihu is an example of that. Saul's an example of that. Um, you know, we have a lot of examples uh, that would say otherwise. All right. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you, Jason, for listening in Pennsylvania tonight. My father, Greg Gwynn, is uh, listening in Indiana tonight. And, uh, you know, he is uh, preaching there all weekend. He's got a stomach virus. Oh, so that's awful. I imagine that the worship service tonight gave him a feeling. Yeah. Right. Oh, you had to go. Yeah. Um, he says, uh, you may have already covered this, but I think one of the most important things to remember is that our worship has been ordered and directed by God. He knows us, knows what is best for us, and knows what will be most effective for us. Thus, we ought to do it his way. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10 says, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. He says, second point, worship is for us, not him. He doesn't need it. We do. Notice that the advantage is for one another. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Um, So he says that uh, God designed worship because he knows there's benefit to us in worshiping him. He doesn't need it to maintain his deity. He's not getting some type of... Uh, boost to his deity by us worshiping him. He can be God by himself without assistance from uh, mortal men. There's nothing that we could possibly offer God uh, that he doesn't already have. There's nothing we can offer God that he needs. Uh, I had an interesting discussion several years ago with with someone who asked, well, well, what's the reason? I mean, is God so weak that he just needs to have people tell him how great he is? That's not the point. God never said, worship me because I need it. It's for us. We remember that he is the sovereign God. We are his subjects. Yeah. Right. And, if and you know, as you kind of alluded to earlier, Phil, if we've been saved uh, by God and through uh, by his grace, then then praise and uh, reverence should should be a natural uh, you know, reflection there. Sure. So, if we understand the magnitude of the salvation we enjoy. Right. And we right. understand the majesty of the one who gave us the salvation. Right. It's not because he needs it, or uh, as was said, but it, it should be a, a logical extension of, of our gratitude. All right. Mike emails in. I don't know where Mike is listening from tonight, but Mike says there is definitely a difference between Bible study and attending a Bible study. What do you think about that? There's a difference between Bible study and attending a Bible study. You can attend a Bible study and not study the Bible. And if you, he, he is the subject of his email here is preparation. If you're not prepared for that Bible study and you're not interested in studying the Bible, you're just attending. You're not really, you're not really getting the, the study out of the Bible study. Where's the preparation? Right. And, and along those lines, I had actually gone to 
Um, thank uh, you, Mike, for that comment, by the way. Yes, Go thank ahead. you. Um, I had visited what I thought was a Bible study. Uh, it was held by several Christians up in the Nashville area several years ago, and it was interesting. I got there. There wasn't one reading of the Bible until the very end, and I went away asking, and, and this was a, a small group of people getting together. Uh, I, I asked, why are we calling it a Bible study? Uh, if you want to get together and talk about things and try to encourage each other, that's fine. But don't call it a Bible study if you're not going to if you're not going to study the Bible. And along those lines, if you're going to go to a Bible study, be prepared to study the Bible. That's what it's there for. All right, that's exactly right. We need to focus on uh, what's important and leave the other the other things off. Arthur in Kalioka sends in another verse. He says, uh, "Woe unto you!" He re- I'm sorry. He references Luke chapter six, verse forty six. And why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We can't call Jesus Lord unless we're following his instructions. All right. And uh, so there we have that. And uh, let's get back quickly to uh, the question. The third question tonight was uh, contemporary worship. Is it good or bad? Uh, This person says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Contemporary worship usually has its root in trying to please men, not our God whom we serve. I appreciate that comment, and I agree. And Clay in Columbia says, we need to recognize that the mechanics of our worship are always going to be somewhat contemporary in style. The songs we use are contemporary. Even though the Stamps-Baxter style of songs is somewhat old to some young Christians, there are those who remember when they were new and cutting edge. The preaching styles and lengths of sermons are different than they were, say, 100 years ago or longer. I would dare say that if any restoration preacher were to come and worship with us today, they would understand uh, the framework of our services, giving, Lord's Supper, teaching, singing, prayer, etc. But the way we worshiped, style of song, preaching style, seating arrangements, PowerPoint, handouts, prayer styles, i.e. no kneeling, etc., would be different because we are worshiping using contemporary means. Contemporary worship that does not seek to violate the scriptures, that'd be by adding mechanical instruments or praise teams, etc., is not bad, but simply the way of things. Can anyone say bedsheet, sermons, and chants? So, um... So he says that there is some liberty in some of the style, but we have to do it in the way that God has prescribed. Is, has the substance changed? Right. I think is the is the real question. Uh, personally, I'm not a fan of Stamps Baxter music. You know, if it's uh, I like as a rule, I'm just not a fan stylistically. Um, if it's written before the 18th century or after the 1960s, I just tend to like it better. That's a personal preference thing. Um, and I think it's important to understand the difference between contemporary in that we're utilizing modern technology. For example, this program wouldn't have been possible 20 years ago. Uh, we're using the Internet to broadcast. Uh, 100 years ago or plus-ish, um, we wouldn't be here with uh, electricity, with lights and microphones. So things do change over time. The question is, has the substance changed from the from the pattern? Right. I think, too, we have to be careful um, – just taking the example of songs, you know, we do have to be careful that we don't uh, attempt to, as Phil said, talked about his preference. You know, we have to be careful that we don't elevate our preference in a matter of liberty and latitude, elevate that to uh, to law. And uh, that's something that we always have to be on guard about. Yeah, it's really, really sad whenever you hear some people who will even go so far as to not sing because they don't like the style of a particular song. Yeah, it's not optional. When we're supposed to sing to one another and to the Lord, it doesn't say only if you like that style of music. All right, guys, there's one passage that we've alluded to tonight, but I don't think we've read it directly. That's John chapter 4, verse 24. And it says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And we can't conclude tonight without bringing up that passage and say there's two components to our worship, Phil. We have to do it with spirit, with the right attitude, and we've got to do it with truth according to what God has revealed in his word, what he wants from us, that's how we have acceptable worship to God, in spirit and in truth. We can't go make up the rules. We can't do just what makes us feel good and not think anything about what God has said about our worship. We can't do only what God has said and not think anything about our our emotions and how we feel about it. We've got to have spirit and in truth. Remember that our God is a consuming fire, Anthony, and that he he wants us to do the things the way he has prescribed, and he wants to have our heart. He wants to have who we are. He wants us to give ourselves over to him. So you can't have one without the other. You can't, in the name of uh, of having a good heart, leave out 
uh, what his directions have been, and you can't leave out the heart and the spirit. Exactly, and I think what what we see in uh, when you contrast the contemporary worship in the denominational world, what you see there is you see a lot of spirit, but you don't see a lot of truth, to, to use those terms very loosely. Um, and then we've talked about uh, maybe worship that's correct, but the preparation's not there, the heart's not there. So there you may have the truth, but you don't have the spirit. So uh, we have to be, uh, be very careful of those things. Well, guys, we're out of time, but I think it has been a very beneficial study and certainly do appreciate our listeners for joining us on the program tonight. And, Anthony, thank you for your time on the program and your good comments. Thank you for inviting me. Phil, thank you for your time. And thank you for inviting me. And your me. good comments, too. Oh, well, I'm glad you appreciate <laughs> <it>. <laughs> We do appreciate you for being a part of the program tonight and hope you benefited from our study of God's Word. We encourage you to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.